You know, I believe that this morning as we were worshiping, two thoughts, partial scriptures came to my mind. And the first one was, you know, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And I was thinking on that as we were worshiping. And I'm thinking, that's just mind-boggling. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And another one, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Good plans to prosper you. He has a purpose and a destiny for each one of us. And then we have to be reminded that we have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy in every aspect of our lives. We say that sometimes, and we hear it, and you hear me say it so often, it kind of loses its impact, I think. We have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy every plan, every purpose that God has for us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your dreams that God has given us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your hope, your peace, your confidence in him. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy who he says you are and what you believe about who you are in Christ. We have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny that he has for you. He has a plan. He has things. He has a calling. He has things that he has for each one of us to do and his, his purposes in building the kingdom. He wants to use us, not in a way to take advantage of us. He wants to use us in a sense that as we are part of what he's doing, we receive unbelievable blessing. It's kind of what we're created, not kind of, it's what we're created for. And when we do what we're created to do, it's a blessing. It's a fulfilling. You know, the world wants to use us up. God just wants to use us so we would be blessed and filled up. It's an amazing thing in God's plan and how it works when we get in alignment with his plan. But we have a devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have a culture that is trying to suck the life right out of us. Just our calendars is a curse sometimes. Man alive, when somebody calls me, what's the first thing I do? I look at my calendar. If there's even a spare moment, I stick something in there. And then you wonder why at the end of the day or the end of the week, there's just nothing left. Our calendar, something we need to take control of, something we need to handle. Then there's all those thoughts that we have about ourselves that the enemy will use. You ever feel inadequate? Ever feel helpless and not good enough? Not well enough equipped? You ever feel just flat out overwhelmed? with everything that's going on in your life? You feel if God has, well, he he hasn't left you. You know that much if you know the word of God, so you sort of only half believe it because you feel like he he may not have left me, but he's forgotten about me. I think he's lost his voice because I'm not hearing him speak to me. We get those places where we feel like really, really don't have much of a purpose. Our life is sort of meaningless, powerless, powerless. And we're just trying to get through. You know, kind of like, <laughs> I've said this before, I just want to crawl into a hole and let somebody cover it up. Or crawl into a cave somewhere and let somebody put a great big boulder in front of it. Like that's going to give me peace. Well, <clears throat> I, be, I want us to be convinced. And I'm going to share about a guy in just a minute in the scriptures that I've shared about him before, probably umpteen times in the many years I've been pastoring. But it seems like I'm drawn to him when I'm finding myself feeling 
inadequate, a little bit helpless, a little bit overwhelmed, maybe even frustrated. Um, anybody relate to that? Just so I feel better about myself. All right, thank you. You, we'll dig a big hole and we'll all crawl in together. You know, God, can you really use me? God, can you really use this church? God, just little old you, little old me. Here we are out in the middle of nowhere. Can you really use you? You know, this little church in a little town of 630 people, whatever it is, can you really? Southwest Minnesota, where the population isn't all that great, can you really use us? And sometimes we convince ourselves they're very legitimate points that we're making. But really what they are is excuses. They're excuses that we will sometimes use. Because as soon as I start doing that and thinking that way, I am putting limitations on God. Think about that for a second. How smart is that? The God who spoke and all that exists came into being from nothing. Wow. My problems are too big, God. You can't possibly do that. I'm too insignificant. You can't use this. Our church is too small and we're a little old Balaton surrounded by all these little towns that we all represent. Can we really make, you know, some of you are the only person that comes to this church from your community. Can you really make a difference? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. But we have to sometimes remind ourselves and be reminded of that. I'm going to look at a man and a people, not just a man, the whole people, the whole nation was depressed They were living in fear. As a matter of fact, they had done what I thought sometimes I want to do. They had dug caves, and they were hiding in them. And they didn't come out much. And when they did, it was with fear and trembling. The enemy had them believing that they were totally helpless and in a hopeless situation. But in spite of their circumstances, God chose what would appear to be one of the most unlikely people to change the whole situation, and rather quickly. So we're going to look at a man named Gideon. title of my message was Against All Odds, or I also subtitled it A Reluctant Warrior. Sometimes we're reluctant warriors. You know you've been drafted into God's army as soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're drafted to be a fighter, a warrior, to be on the front lines, because wherever you go, you're in the front lines. And we're always warring in the spirit against an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Give you a little bit of background about Gideon's situation. It wasn't too many years before that, that the, uh, the prophetess Deborah was raised up and a man named Barak had been raised up as a judge. And, and they had really delivered the people of Israel. Because Israel has this bad habit this bad cycle that they go through over and over and over. We love you, Lord. Let's go bow down to Baal and worship him and marry the the pagans and the heathens. Let's turn away from God. Uh Uh-oh, we're in big trouble. We love you, Lord. Come and rescue us again. Sometimes that sounds like my prayer life. Lord, it's really, really good. Thank you. I'll call you when I need you. Uh Uh-oh, I need you. Where are you? This mess around me. Well, what God had done, he had, well, if you started in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, which is not going to be on the screen, but it says this, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. So we're at the end of that seven-year time frame. Israel had turned away from God. He had allowed them to be tormented by the Midianites. And this is one of those unusual torments in the scripture because a lot of times God turned them over to a, a country or a, a people group that would take them captive and haul them away or, or come in and, and rule over them. This time there was a bunch of people, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and some other people that from the east, they just referred to them. But what they would do was they were kind of like, like migrant, but there was thousands of them. And what they would do is they would wait until the seed had been sown and, and the crops were growing. And the situation right now is they're in the valley waiting. It's like the enemy's just waiting and he's perched when the crops are ripe when the fruit of the vine is right, when the animals are prime. And then they would come in and it says like a horde of locusts and they just take everything. Take everything. The innumerable amounts of camels, it says, the people like locusts, and they would just come. And every year for seven years, Israel would go out and try and plant their, their crops and here they'd come. And this is where they find them. They're hiding in the caves. And then there's this guy named Gideon. In Gideon, well, first I want to read in Hebrews. <clears throat> if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it's sometimes called the Hall of Faith, the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. There's this list of people, and then there's this group called the Others. But they, they are the, the, the people mentioned in the Scripture for their amazing faith. And lo and behold, there's this guy named Gideon in there. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 35, <clears throat> says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. That's our man Gideon. But he didn't start out there. The part of the verse that I really like was he turned their weakness into strength. He took the weak to confound the wise, the strong. In Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 11, <clears throat> this is the situation. It's about that time of year, and Gideon had evidently sneaked out and harvested a few sheaves of wheat. But because of the situation and because of fear, he was, he was in the wine press. And he was trying to get a little bit of the wheat out of the, out of the straw, separate it so he could have a little bit of wheat for his family. Basically, he was hiding. Now, there's two ways to look at this story. One, what a wimp. Or two, he at least went out and tried. He was using wisdom. But he was in a place where you wouldn't expect the mighty man of God to be hiding. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezerite, who, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's like, really? But, sir, right away. Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, 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 but. But, sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this bad stuff happened to us? Where are all his wonders 
that our fathers told us about when they said, did that the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Boy, he's questioning God. But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of the Midian. The Lord turned him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? When you think of the environment, the situation, all is taking place. Go, save the whole nation of Israel. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan or family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. You will strike them all down. Go in the strength that you have. Gideon hadn't quite figured it out yet, but what strength did he have? He had the strength of the Lord. And go in his might. The Lord's strength. You know, when the Lord has a plan and a destiny and he calls us, we don't go in our own strength. We might try, and it won't work very well. We might be afraid to even step out and try because we know our own inabilities, our own situation. We forget about we're going in the Lord's strength. He was to go in the Lord's strength. When you read those few verses, it's like, well, not a real impressive start for someone named Gideon who ends up in the Hall of Faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. So we're going to look at the process that Gideon went through and see how the Lord changed him into the leader and savior of his people. Just try and get this situation in your mind. He's a farm boy, basically. That's what he is. And he's going to be raised up to be the judge over all of Israel. Matter of fact, when you read through the history of Israel, he's the only little farm boy that God raised up to ever be a judge over Israel. He was the least of the least in his mind. His family was not important in the whole country of the group of Manasseh. His clan, his family was insignificant. And I'm the most insignificant of all of them. And you're going to make me the leader of this people who are now up hiding in the caves. And we're going to destroy these thousands and thousands, this horde of locusts, Midianites and Amalekites and others that have joined them. And the Lord said, of course you are. What is God calling you to? What is God calling us corporately to as a church? Does it look too big? Does it look like you're not qualified? Does it look like you're not adequate? Does it look like we aren't adequate? If we're going in the Lord's strength, he says, go in my strength. Go in your strength, but it's the strength I'm giving you. And these purposes will be accomplished. But there is a process, and I want to just go through the process kind of quickly this morning. First, Gideon had a personal encounter with God. It has to start there. A personal encounter with God. The angel of the Lord came and spoke to him. We have to have a personal encounter with God or we are not starting on first base. We haven't even got out of the dugout yet. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's our first encounter with God. When we acknowledge our sin, our need for a Savior, surrender our self-life to Him and give our life to Him and believe what, what the Scripture says. Our sins required death and Jesus died on our behalf. 
a personal encounter with God. And when that encounter occurs, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit indwells me. We have something that the people of Israel didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And we as a church believe there's also that second experience available to all who would desire it called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God told, Jesus told the disciples, you go wait in Jerusalem before you go conquer the world until the power falls and comes upon you. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go in the strength that we have. A personal encounter. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor, is what he said in chapter 12. Mighty man of valor, hiding in the wine press, crushing out a little bit of wheat so you can feed your family. Doesn't look like a mighty man of valor. You may not look when you look in the mirror and see a mighty man or woman of valor. You may not see someone who can go out and conquer the kingdom, conquer the kingdom for God. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees us. We are mighty men and women of valor once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Gideon expresses his doubt right away in verse 13. How, how come? How can I? How can this possibly happen? And God, it says in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. He's called him, he's commissioned him, and he is confirming him and empowering him to go for the task that he's called him to do. What is God calling us to do? What is he calling you to do? I want to make sure we think individually and we think corporately. I don't believe anybody's here because it's an accident. I believe you're called to be a part of this corporate body if you've responded to what God's called you to. But also individually, we have callings. And he will equip us for whatever he calls us to do. It's not about your personality. It's not about your personal attributes or talents. He knows all those things. He knows what giftings he's given you and talents that are in you. He knows those things. And that's why he can confidently call us to whatever he wants to. He sees what you may not see. He knows what you don't necessarily know. And he calls us. As a matter of fact, we see in Gideon and many of the others in that Hall of Faith of chapter 11 of Hebrews that it exactly was their weaknesses. It was their disadvantages that allowed God to receive all the total glory and honor for what was accomplished. You know, when they first cried out for a king, they said, we want Saul. Man, he stands head and shoulders above the rest. He's a good-looking dude. He'd make a great king. And then there's this little shepherd boy, the youngest of all these brothers that nobody thought much of. God saw a king. Saul didn't do so good. But when we humble ourselves, so it's our weaknesses. Matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says these words, God chose the foolish things. I, I, I like this scripture. It's like, okay, I feel better about me now. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, when we know who we are in Christ, that's all that matters. All the other stuff that the world looks at as, you know, important, power, prestige, wealth, all that stuff. You know, if God gives it to us, great. If he doesn't, great. 
We're going to go in his strength, and he'll receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So the first thing that God did was with Gideon, a personal encounter with him. The second thing we see is he had to kind of start where we, right where he was at. And what I mean by that is he, he was, there was evidently some issues at home. I don't know where Gideon was with this Baal worship, this wooden thing they call Ashtar or Ashtara. But his dad had built an altar to Baal, evidently on the family property. And there was this Ashtara, this, this wooden structure, wooden idol standing there also. And before Gideon is called to go and set the people free and restore Israel, God says, you know what, you've got to go home and take care of a few things first. And he gives them some specific instructions that we aren't going to go into necessarily, but he says, get a couple oxen and we're going to go take care of this. I want you to go and tear down the altar of Baal. I want you to tear down that Ashtara. I want you to tear it all down. As a matter of fact, use the wood from that idol for a fire to sacrifice one of those oxen and worship me. Now, there might be some things in our lives that we need to go home and take care of first before we go to war. You know, one of the things that we need to make sure of is there's not unconfessed sin or we're not living in conscious sin, deciding to sin and live a certain lifestyle because, you know, a lot of times the consequences and circumstances we find ourselves in are caused by us. The Lord will reveal that to us if you ask him and we just confess it and repent of it. We do not want to have a whole bunch of idols in our life, whatever they look like, and think we're going to go and succeed in spiritual warfare. We might find ourselves getting our rear ends kicked. So we need to take care of those things, and it's not that complicated. Lord wants to, to show us these things. If we truly ask him, Lord, what are those things? If there's hidden things in my heart, God, you need, please reveal them to me. Grant me repentance that I can confess to them quickly and go forward. And he'll lead us out of whatever circumstance we're in, just like he did Gideon. Gideon did what he was told. Now, when you read the story, if you're familiar with it, you know he wasn't exactly Mr. Bold and Brave. It says he went and did it, but he took ten friends with him, and he went at night when it was dark so no one could see him. And it's not a bad idea when the Lord shows you some things in your own life that you need to deal with at home, go into that secret place. Go into that secret place and quiet place of intimacy with him. Might be something to to be learned from that. But he did what he was told. And God's father's faith was released. Now his dad had allowed this on his property, probably built it on his property. When the city and the people around it found out, they wanted to come and say, who did this? They discovered who did this, and they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill Gideon. But the father stepped in, and basically he said, you know what, if this thing was really God, this Baal and this Ashtara, if that was really God, don't you think he can defend himself against us? or whoever tore down this altar and idol. And the people agreed. few things that he learned right here was, one, clean up our act before we go fight the enemy. Two, he learned that he wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. He took his ten friends. His father came to his side, but he really wasn't alone because God was with him. He was being obedient, and that would be the third thing. It showed maybe in a small way compared to taking a nation and setting them free, but it showed in a small way that the Lord was with him and the Lord was going to give him victory. All he had to do was act in obedience. Might not seem like a big deal, 
But suppose the Lord spoke to you or me and says, I want you to go back to that pagan church. No church in mind here, okay? I want you to tear it down and level it. And then I want you to you know, host a life group there and worship me. That'd be a little scary. And that's what he did. So he had a personal encounter, took care of some things back home, and then third in this process, he received a gift from God. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You know, what made the heroes of the Bible great? All of them. What made them great? It wasn't their natural ability. It wasn't their training. It wasn't the wonderful mentors that they'd had or the excellent teachers that they'd had. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not what made them great. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Again, Judges 33 through 35. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces. The enemy is coming together. And crossed over the Jordan River and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So there they are. They're just camped. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the crops to get ripe and the animals to be perfect because they've been taking advantage of this for seven years and they knew those wimps hiding in the caves weren't going to do a thing about it. They were filled with fear. They were intimidated by the situation and by the circumstance. Boy, that can paralyze you and it can paralyze a corporate body if we're filled with fear. We allow circumstance to dictate what we believe. And the enemy is just waiting. It's like a snare, that, that lion waiting to just pounce upon you. But it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And then it says he blew the trumpet and he summoned all of the Abizarites to follow him. And then he sent messengers out throughout Manasseh. Uh, the Manasseh would be this big area. There was a big area, and we're kind of in, if you look at a map, it's kind of the northern part of what we think of as Israel, Judea to the south. It says Manasseh and uh, Arms and Asher, Zebulon and Naphtali, kind of all their neighbors. Man, there must have been a lot of caves. He calls them all, sounds the horn. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he, instead of being this, this little farm boy who was hit, sitting in the wine press trying to get a little kernels, a few kernels of wheat, now he's the leader of a nation. And it looks like he was a leader of a nation in a matter of a day or two. What changed? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Faith rose up in him. He didn't look in the mirror and see little old Gideon. He, he looked at the Lord and saw what the Lord could do and believed what the Lord could do through him, trusting in him, a gift from God, the Spirit of the Lord. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as I already mentioned, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He was changed and transformed into this leader. Personal encounter with the Lord. Started at home first, received this gift, and I believe the fourth step in this process was he received special assurance from God. Now, I'm not endorsing that we all throw out fleeces. This is probably not a practice that we should use you need to remember, we have something better than a fleece. Who could guess what that is? It's called the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us. I don't need to throw a fleece out. But I've got to confess, I've thrown out more than one fleece in my life. And I bet some of you have too. 
And you notice an interesting thing. God didn't seem to get really upset. It shows us, if nothing else, the long-suffering and patience of God with Gideon and sometimes with us. He allowed him to put out the fleece. And if you're not familiar with the story, what am I talking about? You know, Gideon wasn't quite ready to go out and fight yet. He kind of wanted a little bit more assurance of, of the victory. So he said to the Lord, I'm going to put out this fleece. And he says, I'm going to lay it out in the ground. And when I wake up in the morning, I want to see the ground all wet and the fleece completely dry. And sure enough, the next morning after the dew, that was the situation. And he was ready to go fight. Well, almost. He said, Lord, that was pretty cool. Tonight I want you to reverse it. Tonight I want the ground to be dry and I want the fleece to be so filled with water I wring it out in the morning. Sure enough, God did exactly what Gideon had asked. I don't believe Gideon doubted the call of God. I believe the Spirit of God had come upon him. I believe he just needed a little more assurance. I believe we have one that lives and dwells in us that we can go to, that we can listen to, that we can pray, and the Holy Spirit will confirm what the Lord is putting in our heart. If you put out a fleece or two, don't feel bad. But listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Go to the Lord in prayer. A lot of times we haven't heard and we don't have that assurance because we have not spent the time in the secret place that we need to spend there. You know, if I need to hear from the Lord, it's probably not the best way to go through my daily schedule running from one appointment to another appointment to another thing to another thing to another thing to another thing and then get home at night and go, geez, God, where were you? I didn't hear anything today. Can't you see the mess I'm in? We go to sleep and we wake up and we start over again. The clock on the calendar. We need to go and listen. The Holy Spirit's there. will guide us. And as I said, this isn't a model for us, but I think that what we need to learn from Gideon is we need to trust God. We need to trust God. We need to trust Him that He will do what He proposes to do through us and in us. He is faithful. And lastly, the learning to trust God. This is one of my favorite parts of the story of Gideon. Gideon blew the trumpet, and he called all the people of Manasseh, and all these different families and tribes all gathered together, and my goodness, he went from being in the wine press, crushing out a little bit of wheat, to a leader with 32,000 soldiers, ready to go kick their rear ends. Finally, after seven years, 32,000 soldiers and the Spirit of God upon him, he was ready to go. Well, God wasn't ready to send him that way. He looked at this crowd of soldiers, this 32,000, and just says, it's way too many. He says, I want you to, listen to what he told them. He says, I want you to tell them, can you imagine, this is our army, you're all the army. And I'm pretty excited because I think we can whip them. If we all go together, we all hang in there, we can whip them. And then God says, just tell the ones that are afraid they can go home. 22,000 left. 22,000 left out of 32,000. All of you are afraid today, would you just leave now? I mean, geez, I'd stay just because I didn't want to be embarrassed. 22,000 left. He's got 10,000 left. And if I'm Gideon over here, I'm thinking, Lord, I had a pretty good army. I think we could have done this thing. 
but I got 10,000, that's way better than just me. God takes a look at him, he says, sorry, it's still way too many. And then he comes up with this crazy idea. God says, I'm going to tell you who needs to go and who needs to stay, and the ones I tell you they need to go, you make them go, and the ones I tell you need to stay, that's who you take. Okay, God, how are we going to do this? He says, I'm going to take you all down to the river. And what I want you to do is watch how they drink from the river. The ones that get down on their knees and put their face down in the water and drink of the fresh water, they're going to go. It's pretty stupid to not keep your eye out for the enemy. But the ones that go down and put their hand in the water and lap it like a dog, that's his word, lap the water out of their hand like a dog, those are the ones. That sounds crazy, Lord, but let's go for it. 300 people are the ones that knelt down, kept their eyes in the mountains, and drank out of their hand. The rest, he said, you can go. So here he went from 32,000 to 300, and he's facing, and the Word of God itself said that they were like locusts when they would come into the land, devouring everything in their sight. It said they would eat all the crops, they'd take all the crops, they'd take all the donkeys, all the sheep, all the oxen, they took it all. And now the little farm boy, Gideon, has got 300 guys who are probably wondering what in the world is going on. And then, of course, we're not going to go into the detail, but I hope you read the story. It's a great story. He comes up with a novel plan of how we're going to defeat them. What you're going to do is you're going to take a trumpet, and you're going to take a torch, and you put the torch in a jar. The jar will keep it very dim so no one can really see the light. That's our weapons. And I think God, in his all-knowing way, said, oh, by the way, Gideon, if you're not really sure this is going to work, he says, go ahead and sneak down there near the camp. Take your buddy with you. And I bet Gideon was going, thank you, Lord. Again, I get some confidence built up. It says they go down there and they get near a couple of guards and they're hiding behind the rock and they hear the two guards. One of them says, I had this dream. And he shares the dream. And the other guy goes, I know what that dream means. Gideon's going to come and he's going to destroy us all. Gideon goes back up to the army and says, I think we're in good shape, guys. So they did what they were told to do. God had taken this huge army and took it from 32,000 to 300, I believe, to just say, Gideon, do you trust me? Are we enough as a corporate body, to do whatever big task God calls us to? Are you enough to fulfill the call that God has on you individually, in your family, in your community, in your place of work? Do we trust God to do it? Well, they go out, and you know all, maybe you can guess what happens if you don't know. They went up around the mountains, and they stood there, and he blew the, he says, guys, just do what I do. He blew the trumpet. They started blowing the trumpet. They broke the jar so the torches were light, and it looked like it would have lighted all the way around it. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other people from the east turned tail and ran. And they chased them. <laughs> if they'd ever looked back and just seen 300, what do you think would have happened? I bet they'd have seen armies of thousands, thousands of angels. And you read the story, they just kept following them and destroying them, killing them, capturing the kings, killing them, and conquered completely. The personal encounter with God went home and took care of some things that needed to be dealt with. The Holy Spirit was given to them to empower them and embolden them. 
He received a special assurance from the Lord to build up his confidence, and he trusted in God. You know, we're called to fight the enemy. Wherever it represents itself, the enemy, lies in the culture, we're called to stand for truth. The idolatry of this world, we're called to talk about the one true God. There's powers of evil everywhere, spiritual powers, fleshly powers, and we're called to stand against them. In our natural abilities, we will probably feel inadequate for the task that God calls us to. What you need, first of all, is a personal encounter with God. You know, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's the first thing you need to do. You know, it's the greatest miracle ever, taking a person who is spiritually dead, condemned to hell, and causing them to be born again, to spend eternity with Christ, with God in heaven. By acknowledging our need for a Savior, our sins, acknowledging our sins, acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God who willingly went to the cross and died in my place, took my sins. He took the penalty for my sins, death, and was raised again from the dead. And he did it because he loves us. And we surrender our life to him, that personal encounter with God. And the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Every day for the rest of our natural life on this earth, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. Eternal life has began the moment we accept Christ. We're never alone ever again once we've accepted Christ. And we have the assurance and the promises of his word. I truly believe this. So often our faith is weak, our trust is weak, our confidence is weak, because we don't know what the Word says. If we believe the Bible is the Word of God, it is the life-giving Word of God. It says when you know the truth, when you know the Bible, it will set you free. You can't stress hard enough and long enough. Brian had an exhortation this morning about the Word. People, Mike, this is the Word of God. How much time are you spending in the Word of God? It's a rhetorical question, yet I hope you answer it and then improve on it. We need to learn to begin where we're at. As I said, we need to realize that sin in our lives is going to block the blessings of God. He still loves you. If you've accepted Christ, you're still saved. But his blessings, his abilities to move through us, to use us, just begin where we're at, and he will equip us and trust us. There's a couple of scriptures that I think I had up there on that last slide. I'm not going to talk about them, but in Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to this if God is for us? Who can possibly be against us? Wait upon the Lord will renew our strength. We don't wait upon the Lord well as a culture. We're too busy. We might want to do a little more waiting upon the Lord. 
Then it says we'll run and we won't get tired. We won't get weary. And then the last verse, unless the Lord builds the house, those that labor build in vain. You know, God, I believe, is obviously not through with us or we'd, we'd be gone, individually and corporately. I believe God has greater and greater days ahead for Victory Christian Church as a body corporately and for each one of us individually. But we need to be here in the Lord. We need to know where he's leading us, where he wants us to go, trusting in him. When the impossible shows up, we just see God. We don't see the impossible in your own life as well as in our corporate life. Trust, confidence in him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would raise up this whole body as Gideons. God, that you would allow us by your spirit to see who we are and who you've created us to be in Christ. God, that we would begin to comprehend and understand the love that you have for us, but also the power that indwells each one of us as the Holy Spirit, your spirit, the spirit of God, the creator God lives and dwells in each one of us. God, that we would truly begin to walk by faith, not by sight, not in fear. Lord, that you would cause each one of us to have that opportunity again, to have that personal encounter with you. Lord, if there's any here that have never had that, realized that personal encounter with you through salvation through Jesus Christ, don't let them remain silent. Lord, I pray that we would truly walk with trust and confidence no matter how big the challenge, how big the enemy might look, but we would trust in you. Lord, I pray now that you would watch over us as we go, keep us safe. We pray that you would keep all safe in the, the weather that's being predicted and you would give us opportunities throughout the week to live our lives and demonstrate the love of Christ to a world that needs it more than anything else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.